Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, we proudly bring to you Mormonism Live! Shut up and sit down. Wow, this is quite an audience we have. Yeah, listen, I like that live studio audience. Uh, listeners, how are you doing? Welcome to Mormonism Live. I'm Bill Real. Next to me is Radio Free Mormon. You are wearing, looks. I thought it was a Dodgers shirt or something at first, but it says Real Super Dry. What's that about? I have no idea, but it's some kind of Japanese thing. You'll see Japanese down here, and you've got, excuse me, on this arm. Oh, you're, <laughs> just, you're just showing off the guns again. No, no, no. It's JPN. JPN. Yes, that stands for NAM. <laughs> it might as well. Um, all right. Well, let me start off tonight's show on a little bit of a serious note. We are going to be talking about the uh, sensitive topic of suicide. Uh, we've done several things. We have consulted uh, best practices in how to conversate about that. We're going to do our best to follow that. I'm, I sometimes make mistakes, as anybody else. I'm trying to figure out a good spot to put the, the mic um, we also have our moderator. One of our moderators is, uh, also consulted best practices and we'll try to, uh, keep an eye kind of on the chat and remove any comments that are inappropriate. I'm going to ask each of you as viewers and listeners to help us tonight. I, I really want to stay deeply on topic, uh, not really get off into the weeds with the comments by you, the listeners, the viewers. Uh, as well as the both of us are going to try to try to do that, be healthy about all of this. Um, there were lots of directions we could go, but we tried to keep it just to kind of the the history and the theology of this topic. Um, any thoughts before we proceed from there, RFM? I will try and keep my humor to a minimum. Yeah, <laughs> there he goes. But really, look, anybody, <laughs> if you're thinking of committing suicide and you're watching this, hopefully... What we talk about will be beneficial to you, but Bill's going to give a trigger warning here in a second. Uh, just do do us a favor, please. If you're thinking of committing suicide, don't do it during the show, okay? Yeah, I don't I don't know how I would deal with that. that no, that give me such a complex. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I almost wonder if that was too much. So, um, <laughs> I'm, so say, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. No, 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 no. What I would say is, if if anybody is prone to self harm ideology, if anybody is struggles with that kind of thing, um, my two cents would be to just step away from this episode and to just check in next week with us when we cover something else. Um, and I would really uh, welcome. Uh, all of you helping us kind of keep this uh, kind of on the on the straight and narrow, as the gospel phrase goes. The covenant um, path. Yeah, the covenant path. So uh, we can start off here. I've got a little video that we can uh, start to play. I want to start with kind of how the church in the modern moment uh, presents this topic. And uh, here is the, let me share my screen, which I should have done. I was a little late getting to our our backstage here to get going on this, but uh, we should be ready to rock and roll. Every one of us 
has family members, dear friends or acquaintances who've experienced suicidal thoughts, attempted suicide, or have taken their lives. And every time, it's tragic. We know from all the statistics out there that someone in the ward is hurting. Someone is having suicidal thoughts in your ward. And as we come together as families, as churches, in a community, we can do better than we're doing now. This is the way that we decrease any kind of embarrassment, reduce any kind of stigma, and gain further understanding about the process. There's an old sectarian notion that suicide is a sin and that someone who commits suicide is banished to hell forever. That is totally false. I believe the vast majority of cases will find that these individuals have lived heroic lives and that that suicide will not be a defining characteristic of their eternities. I think Heavenly Father is pleased when we reach out and help his children. I think he's profoundly pleased, but we shouldn't underestimate the importance of the church as a community coming together and helping each other through this life. Heavenly Father knew it would be a challenge and he knew we would need each other's help. So what we need to do as a church is to reach out in love and caring for those who have suicidal thoughts, who have attempted suicide, who feel marginalized in any way. We need to reach out with love and understanding. And you do that in concert with healthcare professionals and with ecclesiastical leaders, with friends and family support. My gosh, I'm feeling like killing myself after having to watch that, Bill. So my first thought, <clears throat> my first thought as I watched that video is he makes the note, there's an old sectarian notion that suicide is a sin and that someone who commits suicide is banished to hell forever. But it's not just an old sectarian notion, is it, RFM? It, it's something that is and was taught uh, predominantly in LDS theology for uh, at least a good hundred years. Yes, and I know you've been doing a good deal of research on that. I've talked to other members of the church who are uh, maybe as old as I am, have been in the church as long as I have been. And as recently as today, one of them was telling me how when they grew up in the church, you know, they heard exactly this type of message, which is if you commit suicide, then you're going to go to hell. Yeah, yeah. And and he also finishes off talking about how ecclesiastical leaders can be of help. Now, I 100% agree that community is a huge benefit to well-being. Um, but I think I think the local plumber who's serving as the bishop, who has no training whatsoever, could do more harm than good if he's perceived as being a mouthpiece for God and the expert in the room at, at helping you figure out how not to have that kind of ideology, right? Yeah, and I think it's really good that he's encouraging members to help those members members of the church to help those other members who feel marginalized because it's like the symbiotic relationship. The leaders of the church marginalize the members and then the other members help them out because they're feeling marginalized. <laughs> okay. Um, symbiotic. 
Yeah, no, no, I get it. So let's uh, let's put up here on the screen. <laughs> so there is there is a uh, official uh, church gospel topic essay, maybe I think no, it's a study manual. God, yeah, it's gospel gospel topics. So you can find the the suicide uh, section there in the gospel topic essays. Um, just a note here that I got the spot highlighted. Although it is wrong to take one's life, a person who does so may not be responsible for his or her actions. Only God can fully understand and judge the situation. Can we stop right there for just a second, Bill? I know you want to go on and I apologize because this is your show and I'm just the interrupter. But it starts off with this premise that has never been established and is not found in scripture or in anything that Joseph Smith ever said that I can tell, which is that it's wrong to take one's life. Yeah, as we're going to find, it is scattered throughout LDS history and theology, and which is going to be my point tonight. My point tonight in, on the front end is that these leaders in the present moment, uh, uh, Elder Renland just now, and you'll see Elder Ballard does it here in a moment, they want to blame anybody but LDS leaders for the misconception. And the reality is once we get done tonight, it will be crystal clear where these ideas come from. Um, as you point out, even on the gospel topic essay, they are saying it is wrong to do so. Um, and we'll get into, as we go along, all of the historical places in which the church uh, told members the depth of which it was wrong. And, and while they want to blame everyone but themselves, including sectarian notions and members for these misconceptions, the reality is the uh, responsibility falls right at the feet of LDS leaders. So in the I mean, first- It's not part, just the old sectarians? It's not just the old sectarians, although I guess maybe Elder Renlund means the old sectarians within the LDS church, but um, that seems kind of a strange thing because it seems like that language is crafted to place the blame outside of the church. And it gets worse because Elder Ballard, uh, in a moment you'll see, uh, actually blames the members of the church for the misconception. But in that first little uh, paragraph that's highlighted, so it, yes, although it is wrong to take a person's uh, take one's own life, a person who does so may not be responsible for his or her actions. Only God can fully understand and judge the, situa- the situation. Elder Russell, uh, M. Russell Ballard said, obviously we do not know the full circumstances surrounding every suicide. Only the Lord knows all the details and he it is who will judge our actions here on earth. When he does judge us, uh, I feel he will take all things into consideration, our genetic and chemical makeup, our mental state, our intellectual capacity, the teachings we have received, the traditions of our fathers, our health, and so forth. Um, Elder Ballard has a much softer approach to the issue than uh, LDS historical documents and the teachings of past leaders do. So I at least want to acknowledge uh, him. And this this particular gospel topic essay is also much softer on the issue than past documents and teachings. Um, Any thoughts there before I move on from this document? Only the comment that I'm glad that the Lord knows all the details and he'll use his knowledge of all the details in judging those people who commit suicide. It would be nice if the omnipotent creator of the universe who knows all the details might lend a helping hand before they commit suicide and lift that burden a little bit, but apparently that's above his pay grade. He'll just take it into account when it's judgment day. Yeah, that it does seem that the, the, the bearded man in the sky, Heavenly Father, 
could do more and doesn't. Um, but for whatever it's worth. So uh, what that did was it led me to um, researching, starting off first with Elder Ballard. Elder Ballard has, seems to be the church's expert on this topic, and here's the reasons why. First, we have this article, Suicide, Some Things We Know and Some Things We Don't Know. Uh, I'm trying to find a date on this. This is a 1988. looks like it's maybe March 1988. Uh, Liahona probably was the enzyme at the time. Um, so he writes this thing on it and we'll come back to this article, but I want to at least show the other things that he did. So he also wrote a book Mm. suicide titled, by the way, the same thing, some things we know and some we do not. Now it's again, we made note of this several episodes ago, but in Mormonism, and I'm sorry, because I'm kind of doing the episode and I've got a ton of stuff to go through. I won't be able to put a ton of the comments up, but when you're talking RFM, I'll try to put one or two up at a time. Um, what was I going to say? The He seems to be the expert. Here's the book he wrote. Um, and then there's one other article too, which is Elder Ballard. This is the church news. This was in uh, 19 December, 2014. Elder Ballard offers comfort and counsel to those affected by suicide. And so he's got at least three places where he uh, spends some considerable time discussing this issue, including a book that's sold at uh, Deseret Book. But the one we're going to pull from primarily is this March 1988 article, now titled from the Liahona, um, but then would have been called the Enzyme. Uh, some things we know, some things we not, the the main title of suicide. And uh, while I went through this these documents, there were a couple things that stood out, and I want to go down to them here. While you're going down to it, Please. can I just comment that I I am always amazed at how many things are not known by those who are sustained as prophets, seers, and revelators with a direct pipeline to God. I'm going to wager that the things that he knows are things that are in scriptures, and the things he doesn't know are things that are not in scriptures, and that he could theoretically ask God for the answer, but apparently chooses not to. Yeah, and that reminded me, by the way, what I was going to say before was that in past episodes, we've talked about how this church claims to be led by prophets, seers, and revelators, but as time goes on, we as a church know less and less about how things work. And so what? while Elder Ballard says there's some things we know and some things that we don't, and he tells us about the things we don't, which is how God will handle it, um, that's not true about how the church taught it in the past. They absolutely knew what was going on. And again, you'll see that as we go through. As I jump down a little bit in the article, he says, one son spoke rather harshly. This was about his father who had taken his life. Uh, He said, I never thought my father was a stupid man, but what can you say about this? If he loved us, he would have never done such a thing. So first off, I struggle right off the bat with that kind of rhetoric being in the article to begin with. To label somebody as stupid or to label that they don't love you because they, they felt the way they felt and ended up completing uh, that act, um, has little to say about their intelligence, and it has little to say about their love, care, and concern for their loved ones around them. Now, he doesn't say he agrees with it, but by leaving it in there uh, and not addressing it directly, you leave people open to wonder if it is a stupid thing and if it is about love, and I'm not not a fan of that. So, Uh, The article continues. He says, a a comment by the youngest son captured the despair they all felt. All the members, all the family, 
everybody around this person inside the church who who completed the act of suicide. Uh, he said, there is no hope for dad now, is there? He said, it was more a statement than a question. All the good things he did throughout his life don't matter anymore. Now that he's taken his life, he will be in the telestial kingdom throughout eternity. Then he wept. The feelings expressed then by those family members are commonly felt by Latter-day Saints trying to cope with suicide of a loved one or friend. The anguish and uncertainty they experience are extremely painful and difficult. Sadly, the problem touches many lives. Unfortunately, the problem also exists among members of the church as well as non-members. Um, he, he's, I'm going to go down here a little further. It, it is important to note that he is acknowledging that everybody in the family and in the ward around this person thought by that act they had uh, extinguished their chance at achieving exaltation and being in the celestial kingdom. And I think, RFM, you would agree that was your understanding as a believing Mormon too, um, at least before reading a ton of material and the church beginning to try to convey a different kind of idea, that the general membership of the church is left with some sort of remembrance of doctrinal understanding that by completing the act of suicide, somebody puts distance between them and the opportunity of exaltation. Oh, yes, absolutely. Um, and I was actually going to say something, and then it just went right out of my mind. But yes, and the church itself ends up causing the situation that leads a number of people to commit suicide, or at least attempt it. And by that, all I mean is this toxic perfectionism that is promoted by the church. Nobody can feel that they are good enough in the LDS church, because no matter how much you do, you're never doing enough. There's always more stuff that you're being taught that you need to do more stuff and do it better. Be a little better every day. We have to be perfect. Even as our father in heaven is perfect. It is mission impossible. Yeah. And so people who take it seriously. And of course, this is the irony is that the people who take the teachings of the church and the perfectionism that the church encourages and imposes on its members seriously, the more likely they are to have suicidal ideations when they fail to measure up in spite of their best efforts. And the people who don't take the churches seriously are probably less likely to commit suicide based upon the teachings of the church. Yeah. To be an imperfect human, right? None, none are clean, which also is taught in the gospel and also juxtaposed against our needing to try to be our very best, right? After all they can do, and again, we've started to try to correct that scripture as well, but many of us understand that we are challenged by the church to do our very best every day, which is impossible. Hence, the effort becomes exhausting. Uh, it becomes a weight on one's shoulders. One of the things I notice being out of the church is I no longer feel uh, the weight of being a member of the church. There's no longer this extra burden that was a, that is figurative, but to some degree felt like a literal weight upon my, my shoulders. If we skip down here a little bit further, Latter-day Saints carry an additional burden. Now, you know, right there it is, another, just even using those kinds of words, right? The purpose of our mortal lives, we know, is to prove ourselves, to eventually return to live in the celestial kingdom. One who commits suicide closes the door on all that some have thought consigning himself to the telestial kingdom or does he question mark what is the truth regarding suicide question mark can i now, can i jump in here because i actually have not read this article 
Yeah. I know I should have, but I, I haven't read it. But I'm going to guess right now where he's going. He is not going to say that people who commit suicide go to the celestial kingdom. He's not going to say that they can go to the celestial kingdom. What he's going to say is, well, we're not really sure whether they have to go to the, to the celestial kingdom. And maybe there are circumstances that God will take into account with him knowing all the details and everything that will allow them to go to some kingdom higher than the celestial kingdom. And then that will fall into the category of the things that we don't know. Yeah. And you're right. Number one. Number two is, again, he makes a direct mention. He is playing on the idea that anybody reading this is going to agree with that paragraph and they're going to be caught off guard by his two questions at the end. He knows that the LDS audience is going to believe that that someone who takes their life, someone who um, completes the act of suicide, is going to find themselves outside of the celestial kingdom and perhaps even going to hell or outer darkness, right? Well, like, he's given he, his, fa his family as an example. Yeah, so he, he knows that. Now he goes on to say, what have the prophets said? He goes, the prophets have taught us some important principles about suicide, but it is possible that many of us have misunderstood. So it's so the prophets have taught truth, and it's you and me who got it wrong. Doesn't that seem like gaslighting? Once we know, when again, we know ahead of time where we're going to go, the territory we're going to cover, the terrain that we're going to, to uh, go across. And we recognize that it's going to be crystal clear where the misunderstanding started. And it wasn't with the leaders who taught the truth. It's with the bullshit that they've said over the course of a hundred years that have put a miss, um, what Elder Ballard would call, if he were to be honest, a misrepresentation of what he's about to lay out. Right. Well, it's always the member's fault. And whenever they want to change course on something, it's the member's fault for having misunderstood what the prophets said. Yeah. And then he's going to give a bunch of quotes. And I did look at the quotes, and I'm not sure these quotes are really going to support his position, but I guess we'll go through them, won't we? We we will, and we'll go through several other documents as well. So the first one he said he shares, he goes, look, let's let's review some of the fundamental teachings of the prophets on this matter. And by the way, here at Mormonism Live, where we try to be transparent and forthright, we're going to cover a few more of the fundamental teachings of the prophets on this matter. Uh, he says, first, President George Q. Cannon of the First Presidency made a clear statement about the seriousness of suicide when he said, man did not create himself. He did not furnish his spirit with a human dwelling place. It is God who created man, both body and spirit. Man has no right, therefore, to destroy that which he had no agency in creating. They who do so are guilty of murder, self-murder, it is true, but they are no more justified in killing themselves than they are in killing others. What difference of punishment there is for the two crimes? I do not know, but it is clear that no one can destroy so precious a gift as that of life without incurring a severe penalty. Um, I don't really, I don't really necessarily have um, it set aside to talk about the context that this quote is in. Do you have any thoughts on this quote in particular before I move on to the next one? Uh, only that um, while he's still saying he's not exactly sure what the difference is, he's saying that suicide is the equivalent of murder and you can't do it without incurring a severe penalty. So I interpret severe penalty as no celestial kingdom. Yeah. President Spencer W. Kimball made an equally strong statement in 1976 
it is a terrible criminal act, criminal act for a person to go out and shorten his life by suicide. That's the teachings of Spencer W. Kimball, which by the way, we've got that one and we'll, we'll pull that up later just to at least show the document. Um, so with that, there's those quotes. Um, you know, it is a terrible criminal act, but on the good side of it, I've never actually had to represent somebody who was charged with that crime. Yeah, no, you it, right. I have heard there are laws <laughs> in the books. I've heard there's laws in the books that do make it illegal Yes, in certain states. But as you point out, it's kind of a silly thing because anybody who completes that act, it's they're not going to be able to be charged anyway. So... And there are uh, certain laws that are still on the books in some states that never get prosecuted, even if it's just the attempt. Yeah. Uh, Elder Ballard finishes up for our purposes here. Uh, he finishes up. He says, those statements on their own might seem to leave no room for hope. However, all, although they stress the seriousness of suicide, it, the question would be, then why is it serious? Mm -hmm. uh, the statements do not mention the final destination of those who take their own lives. And then he goes on to quote Elder McConkie, who we're going to quote as well and give you a little more context into what Elder McConkie has to say. But the late Elder Bruce R. McConkie, formerly of the Quorum of the Twelve, expressed what many church leaders have taught. And again, I don't get this. It is, again, gaslighting when he says that the leaders essentially have been consistent by the way he said that. Um expressed what many church leaders have taught. Suicide consists in the voluntary and intentional taking of one's life, particularly where the person involved is accountable and has a sound mind. Persons subject to great stresses may lose control of themselves and become mentally clouded to the point that they are no longer accountable for their acts. Such are not to be condemned for taking their own lives. It should also be remembered that judgment is the Lord's. He knows their thoughts and tents. And abilities of men, he is in, he in his infinite wisdom will make all things right in due course. That's Mormon doctrine. I don't know which edition he's quoting, but we'll be pulling up the first edition for tonight's purposes. Uh, any thoughts there before I move on? No, uh, I'm glad that there is a theme that's coming through about uh, you know not all suicides are equal. I think that what Bruce or McConkie is trying to say is if a person is legally insane. At the time they commit suicide, then maybe it won't be chalked up in the debit column against them. But um, yeah, it's definitely very serious and it doesn't sound like a good thing's going to happen for you. But maybe there's some extreme situations where you're not of sound mind and maybe it won't be so bad for you in that case. Yeah. So the question is, what have past prophets taught and have they been misunderstood and are they responsible for why Latter-day Saints collectively believe suicide ends progression and prevents one from the, the celestial kingdom and exaltation? So for our first one, um, this is uh, the Latter-day Saint, Latter Saints Millennial Star, Monday, August 28th, 1893. And um, if I go all the way up to the top here, the, they wrote an entire article on suicide. Now, this kind of seemed like the same language that George Q. Cannon uses uh, later on in one of the articles that we'll bring up. And also in what Elder Ballard quoted from George Q. Cannon. I don't know if he's the author of this. If anybody knows that, you can put that in the comments for others. Uh, so we have some historical context. But the uh, Latter-day Saints, Millennial Star, August 28th, 1893. And I just want to make a couple notes. So at the bottom of 565, 
there is a discussion about whether someone is sane versus insane when committing that act. Um, and all of these links will be shared in the resource notes of the YouTube video, as well as on the mormonismlive.org website tomorrow morning when the audio goes out. And so if you want to read any of these original documents, you're welcome to them. Uh, page 566, the discussion is whether it is cowardice to take one's life. Um, so there's that conversation going on. Uh, also on 566, there's the mention of it being murder, that even taking your own life is committing the act of murder. And notice this sentence, God has given him in this earthly tabernacle, sorry, one who deserts from the mission God has given him in this earthly tabernacle does so at the risk of incurring the second death. Boop, boop, so, boom. There, so right there, you have in an official periodical of the church as early as 1893, conversation that uh, no exaltation, it's like no soup for you from Seinfeld, no exaltation for you, you risk the incurring of the second death. Is there any other way to understand that RFM than, than no, no exaltation is possible? Uh, no, not to me. I think the second death is the really, really big death. I think that's like outer darkness death. Yeah, it's it's the opposite of the second anointing. Yes. Yes. Um, at the bottom of page 567, uh, here's where it begins to get a little interesting. Let me get to the bottom of that. Um, I got to just kind of find where this is. Let's make sure that I'm in the right spot. The Latter-day Saints believe there's no forgiveness. Here it is. So this crime right here, I'll see if I can highlight that. Yeah. This here we crime, go to the Ten Commandments. Yeah, this crime should not be heard among latter, the Latter-day Saints. They have been taught the enormity of the crime of murder. They believe there is no forgiveness, neither in this world nor the world to come, for those who commit this sin and having been made partakers of the Holy Ghost. That seems after, pretty clear too, doesn't it? Yes, after having been made partakers of the Holy Ghost. Yeah. So if you join the church, you get confirmed, and then you commit suicide, well, there's no forgiveness. This seems even harsher than the previous one I highlighted, which said there's the possibility of. This one seems much more strict and stern, even within the same article. And then um, at the very beginning of the next page, uh, it mentions this idea that uh, if, if you know, our bodies are the temple, uh, if any man does uh, defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. Um, that's strong language. For the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. Um, should there be any question as to the meaning of the word temple in this passage, we think Paul makes it plain when he says, what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you. Uh, so just kind of that furthering of the idea that there's no forgiveness uh, for murder, including suicide. And again, I, I agree that the article leaves this tiny little space that maybe that's, you know, the possibility that something else occurs. But as you'll see, we'll get further into this. Uh, let me get rid of this one. The next one is Mormon doctrine. I'm not going in order of publishing date, uh, so I'm bouncing around a little bit. This is Mormon doctrine. Suicide shows up in two places. The first one is with the um, topic of agency. This is the first edition. Uh, it says here, if men choose to commit suicide, this is where it is, 
If men choose to commit suicide, for instance, they will continue to have agency in hell, but they will not be able to use it to gain their lives back again. That seems pretty straightforward, doesn't it? Well, yes. I mean, once you're dead, you can't make yourself alive again by choosing to. Yeah, but but he also seems to say, like, you won't be able to do anything outside of uh, you. You'll have agency in hell, but they will not be able to use it to gain their lives back. In other words, you're stuck there. You won't be able to do anything else to get yourself out of there. Right. Um, and it continues. If men choose, let's see here. Let me say this again. Uh, the purpose of this life is to test men. Uh, to see if they will take the bodies which have been given them and by righteous exercise of agency make those bodies fit abodes for the Spirit of God. Now here, there's actually, Elder McConkie actually has a topic on suicide. Um, It isn't very long, so I'm just going to read this whole thing. He says, suicide is murder, pure and simple, and murderers are damned. Now notice Elder Ballard leaves this part out. Um, well, did he, he quote are, this part for Bruce R. McConkie? I don't think he did. I don't think he quoted this particular this particular part. Okay. There is no more justification for self-murder than for the willful destruction of another. There is a common and supposedly compassionate tendency on the part of many to reason that all who commit suicide must be mentally unbalanced and that therefore they are not accountable for their crimes. If in a particular instance, a person committing suicide is so mentally clouded that he cannot tell right from wrong, then he is not accountable for his act any more than he would be had he taken the life of someone else. Now, that sounds reasonable, but here's the problem is, and that's the part I think Elder Ballard quoted. The problem with this, though, is that Elder McConkie continued to write his thoughts down. Um, (laughs) He says... Uh, But the great probability is that nearly all self-murderers, though they may be depressed and mentally ill, do in fact know right from wrong the same as most killers do. No murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. He he makes the loophole extremely small and everybody else essentially is damned. Yeah. That's harsh. It's very harsh, and I'm glad that you read that the entirety of that article because we definitely get to know where it is that Bruce R. McConkie was coming from, who was definitely an authority in the church back when I joined it and for many years afterward, and for many years before, for that matter. I think that the main problem they get into is equating suicide with murder in the first place based upon absolutely no scriptural basis or teaching of Joseph Smith. It's just sort of something that they assume, and they say, we strongly believe that, well, strongly believing something isn't really telling us where it says that. Right, right. So we'll get rid of this one. Now we are in the Juvenile Instructor, page 28, page, uh, or I'm sorry, volume 28, page 352. And I just hit something mm. and I don't know what I did there. So let me. Okay. Uh, See where you are. Yeah. Well, I need to kind of go back maybe here. So. While you're looking for that, the Juvenile Instructor, that was a publication of the church, right? The Juvenile Instructor is a publication of the church. Was that and, for young people or something, like for juveniles? Um, I have no idea. I just know it's an official publication of the church. Here's a section, Funerals of Suicides. This is the Juvenile Instructor, volume 28, page 352. Do you know what year this is? Um... Let me see if I can go up to the top and if it will tell me. 
Oh, I hope so. Let's do this. When we get done reading it, I'll go back to the very beginning of it. I just don't want to lose my page. Please don't. I'm, I'm guessing around the turn of the 20th century. Yeah, we'll we'll take a look and see because um, I'm not seeing anything on a date for that. The other one I do have a date for, the next one, which is also a juvenile instructor. <laughs> Excuse me. Funerals of suicides. We are asked if a member of the church could, should commit suicide because of unrequited love or other exciting cause. Would it be proper for the authorities of the ward to have a public funeral service in such a case as a mark of respect to the family who may be faithful members of the church. Well, now notice that the question itself already assumes that the person who committed suicide is beyond having any respect by a public funeral. Yeah. They're already telling you what their answer is going to be by the way they frame the question. Huh? Yeah. It's only out of respect to the family. That's the question. Yeah. Every member of the church should be made to understand should be, you should be made to understand that it is a dreadful sin to take one's own life. It is self-murder, and therefore anyone committing this crime should not expect a public or honorable funeral. There is a wide distinction between the condition of one who dies a natural death and one who dies by his own hand. No one should be led to believe that if he commits the sinful act, he will still receive the same respect and honor at his burial from the priesthood and the people of God, that others who die as faithful members of the church, no encouragement of this kind should be given to anyone who has an inclination to commit suicide. For this reason, a person who commits suicide should be buried privately. I feel like I'm saying Sally's uh, seashells by the seashore. For this reason, a person who commits suicide should be buried privately and without uh, ostentate, ostentation is how's that set? How's that worded? Ostentation. Ostentation. And certainly the funeral services should be conducted without the authorities of the church lending their presence to the funeral. All should be taught that it is a sin of great magnitude to take the life which the creator has given to them. He said an epidemic of suicides, and I say he, I don't know who the author is, but I think it's, of course I should say that, it's George Buchanan. An epidemic of suicides prevailed at one time in Paris. Various devices were suggested to check its course. The last method, uh, I don't know if I want to read necessarily any more of that. Yeah, people kept killing themselves by the guillotine, I understand. It is said that this was such a disgraceful and had such an effect upon the public mind that the number of suicides immediately fell off and the tendency was checked. Um, da, 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 that just be buried same cemetery who die natural deaths. But here, uh, he also uses other examples. He says in many countries and in many religious sects of suicides, unless a jury brings in a verdict that the person who has taken his own life was insane, are not permitted to be buried in what is called consecrated ground. Mm -hmm. That is to be buried in the same cemetery uh, with those who die natural deaths. He says it as if he gives that tacit approval. Oh, yeah. And actually, this is where the church is drawing this uh, line of thought from, is from the old sectarian notions, Yeah, which is in the mainline churches, of course, that if a person is a suicide, they cannot be buried in the graveyard, which is holy ground. It's been consecrated by the priest. They have to be buried outside of the graveyard. And also the rituals and rites at the funeral and at the graveyard, at the graveside service are withheld from them. Uh, presented to the historian's office in 1950, but let me go back to the uh, beginning and There's see the editor, George Q. Cannon. He was probably in the first presidency at the time. This is 1893. Boom. 
1893, that is that one. And now we have another ju uh, juvenile instructor. This is also George Q. Cannon. Um, and this one, oh, I may have a little trouble getting this one, but I can at least read the quote. Um, Man did not create himself. He did not furnish his spirit in the human dwelling place. It is God who created uh, man, both body and spirit. Man has no right, therefore, to destroy that which he has no agency in creating. And then this is where the quote continues. They who do so are guilty of murder, self-murder, it is true. But they are no more justified in killing themselves than they are in killing others. What difference of punishment there is for the two crimes, I do not know. But it is clear that no one can destroy so precious a gift as that without incurring a severe penalty. Ballard includes that, um, but that's where this comes from, is this uh, edition of the uh, juvenile instructor. I um, thought it sounded familiar. By the way, point of order. Yeah. Uh, he keeps saying that God created the spirit of man, but according to Joseph Smith in the King Follett Discourse, God himself could not create God, and he did not create the spirits of man. They are eternal. Yeah, as you pointed out in our talking about the solutions for the LGBT issue, um, intelligences always were, according to at least in part Mormon theology, although at other places in Mormon theology, we seem to have this, uh, this um, kind of juxtaposition of a contradiction, which is that God is the creator of our spirits. And it seems like both of those doctrinal or theological ideas kind of run parallel to each other. Yeah, it seems like what's been going on is that in spite of there being really nothing in the, the scriptures, even with all the scriptures that the LDS have, in addition to the Bible, there's nothing in them about suicide. There's nothing that Joseph Smith, I don't know that he ever even addressed suicide. Uh, listeners can correct me if, I, if I'm missing something there. But what they've done is, as they have with other areas, they just adopted and incorporated what other religious traditions have said and put it within an LDS framework. And yeah. so, therefore, if a person commits suicide, according to George Q. Cannon, he's not going to be able to have a funeral at a church where authorities are not going to be present, probably maybe shouldn't even be buried in the same graveyard with all the good folks who didn't commit suicide. Yeah. And so it's, it's just incorporating all of this. I mean, this is the same thing uh, out of Hamlet, right? I know all roads lead to Shakespeare with me, but this is when Ophelia killed herself. And there's the whole burial scene. And, I don't want to, oh, go ahead, please. No, go ahead. You're good. Well, I'm just saying that because the king was weighing in on her behalf and pushing the priest, they got her buried in a cemetery. But even then, the, the priest is saying, look, I can't do any more, any more rights for her. I've gone as far as I can go. She's a suicide, and I can't be given her the full rights. Yeah. I don't want to spend much time on it here just to recognize that Spencer W. Kimball, uh, and this was the biography uh, written by his son, who I think his name was Edward, if I'm not mistaken. Edward Kimball. And a fascinating book, by the way. And Edward Kimball's a very, I think, nuanced uh, Mormon. And uh, in the biography about his father, the life and teachings of Spencer W. Kimball, there is a section on suicide. Um, again, I think you'd find that essentially it's saying much of the same things that we've already said uh, so far with all the, the other documentation. But I just wanted to note that one as well. And then I want to get rid of this one and we'll go to the general conference. So this is Joseph F. Smith, 1907 general conference. I'm going to skip here to page eight and then I'll zoom in. He was a young man at the time. 
yeah, I don't know how old Joseph F. Smith was in 1907, but his son, of course, was Joseph Fielding Smith. I don't know what his age was. Oh, I'm sorry. This is Joseph F. Smith. This is this is the sixth president of the church. Joseph. He was an old man at the time. Yeah, yeah, he might have. <laughs> I don't know. Um, okay, so here's what he says. You'll notice it right about in here. Uh, so he says, "You cannot take a murderer, a suicide, an adulterer, a liar, which means church leaders are going to have a hard time, or mm. one who was or is thoroughly abominable in his life here." That's where and, I'm going to have a hard time. And simply by the performance of an ordinance of the gospel, cleanse him from sin and usher him into the presence of God. In other words, suicide will be a deep problematic barrier to uh, one being allowed to enter into the rest of the Lord. Do you see that any differently? No, you're right. The presence of God, not open for murderers, suiciders, uh, adulterers, liars, or one who has lived a thoroughly abominable life, I guess if it's just a marginally abominable life, you you may have hope. And then simply by a performance of an ordinance, oh, be ushered into the presence of God. I'll bet the ordinance he's talking about is maybe baptism for the dead or something. Yeah. Notice liar, though. Like, I'm I'm wondering how Paul H. Dunn, Elder Holland, and Russell M. Nelson are getting ushered into the presence of God when they all have a history of lying over and over again. Can you say buffetings of Satan? Buffetings of Satan. Yeah, maybe maybe there's a loophole for liars. You have to include joining. You have to include liar in there because there, there's that great line. I think it's in Second Nephi, and I'm going to guess chapter nine, where Jacob is talking about woe unto the liar, for he shall be thrust down to hell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's general conference. So to say it's not in official channels um, would also ignore this particularly, but also everything else. I think we've done except for Bruce R. McConkie. Uh, in his uh, book, Mormon Doctrine, which behind the scenes, we should cover that someday, how that started, how it went, and then how it finished uh, the great work of Mormon Doctrine. Uh, that might make a fun episode sometime. But his book, even while it was current, uh, was often thought of by many leaders in the church to be not exactly kind of more pseudo official than official. I know they may have thought that up in their high backed. Uh red velvet crushed chairs but among the laity among the you and me down in the pews yeah that was the fifth standard work yeah and they never told us they didn't think it was credible did they no everybody who got up to talk in sacrament meeting back in 78 when i joined the church and for years after that they take their scriptures up there they take mormon doctrine up there and whatever subject they were to speak about the first thing they would do is they'd open it up to whatever that subject was and read what bruce r mcconkey had to say about it yeah. And then this is the first presidency. So this is the first presidency, June 29th, 1894. And here's what they say. Um, that's not the one. Let me see. I'm missing something because I thought. And this is the journal of George Q. Troll Cannon. F. A funeral. Maybe this is. That's not it. Let me see here. Let's just look up the word suicide. S-U-I. There we are. 29th, June, 1894. Sorry about that. Uh, let me get rid of the highlighted spot. Uh, a dispatch was received by the First Presidency from the South this morning asking whether a suicide, a man who was demented, so there's some level of insanity being acknowledged, could be buried in his temple clothes. 
we decided that it would be improper for him to be clothed in his temple clothes, his temple robes. I feel that we should set our faces against the crime of suicide and withhold honorable burial from everyone who resorts to this method of destruction. Notice they go further than the sectarians do that George Q. Cannon quoted when he said, you know, these guys, unless it can be proven by a court to be insanity, they should be buried uh, in disrespectful ways and here what they're saying is it really doesn't matter if what a court finds everyone who commits this act should be buried in disrespectful ways um yeah they're they're assuming for purposes of their response that the guy was demented he was out of his mind and even taking that into account that he's out of his right mind he commits suicide should it be allowed that he be buried in his temple clothes in the first presidency considers it and their answer is no bueno No bueno. I feel that we should set our faces against the crime of suicide and withhold honorable burial from everyone who resorts to this method of destruction. It should be made odious as far as possible in the eyes of the people. And I have felt stirred up at different times by seeing the disposition on the part of many people to pay respect and give honorable funerals to persons guilty of this crime. Again, we're talking about a guy who they acknowledge was demented. Yes. At least that they were, they're trusting the reports of that's what it was. It's um, almost sounding like they're using this idea about if they're legally insane as a very small loophole that when push comes to shove, it doesn't matter anyway. And notice how they finish off this journal entry. This is the last day of the four days races here. And Brother Wilkin took President Woodruff, Smith, and myself to see them. And we enjoyed them. Yay. Well, how, how nice. What kind of yeah. races were those? Were those like Pinewood Derbies? I, I don't know. Those might have been potato sacks. I don't know. I don't potato sack. I don't know. I have no idea. Hmm, okay. Um, so there's that one. Um, I want to note here the conclusion, and we've got two more sources we want to show, but it's kind of making a different point. So the conclusion to this, and I, I couldn't quote it any better than they do in this article. This article is, I can go up to the top here. Um Mormon scholar and academic approach to Mormonism, an old sectarian notion, quote unquote, quoting Elder Renland, LDS teachings on suicide, sin, and damnation. Uh, I'll read this guy's conclusion. Renland may be right that the idea that suicide is a sin and that someone who commits suicide is banished to hell forever is an old sectarian notion. Few will take issue with that fact. Still, in choosing to label these ideas old sectarian notions, He has deflected attention from numerous official and unofficial LDS teachings, which also point to such conclusions. Official LDS material defines suicide as a grievous sin. The logic of exaltation and the logic on killing both hint or imply that those who commit suicide will not partake in exaltation, and much has been written in official and unofficial channels which supports this conclusion. So while the emphasis on suicide prevention is admirable and should be continued, shunting responsibility for attitudes about suicide onto old sectarian notions, rather than directly dealing with LDS logic and statements on the matter, may still be missing the mark and can easily be viewed as a mild form of gaslighting those whose attitudes about suicide have been derived primarily through uh, LDS channels. So as, as I pointed out here, I think through the historical context, it is LDS leaders 
who are responsible for the very misunderstandings that are placed at the feet of members and at those who are hold those old sectarian notions. And as he points out, this is a form of gaslighting. I'll leave it up to the audience to decide whether it's mild or not. I'm a little skeptical of that idea. Um, any thoughts here uh, before I move on to two other points I want to make before we go to some live phone calls? And any thoughts by you before we close this out? In relation to the gaslighting, I am shocked, shocked to find out there's gambling going on here. What do you mean by that? Sorry, I'm missing something. It's Casablanca. Yeah, oh, it's, uh, yeah, it's Inspector Renault when uh, he's caught with the, the police raid the place where he's gambling. And uh, oh, he's, he's pretending like he's shocked that there's <laughs> gambling going on here. I'm shocked that there's gaslighting going on here. Yeah, you it, you it does surprise you, doesn't it? When gaslighting shows up in the Mormon church. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and it's all the same thing, isn't it? First off, we're going to blame you for misunderstanding the clear statements of past prophets who, when you look at them, are clear, but not in the way that Elder Renlund's saying they're clear. Yeah. And it's always, uh, and the other side of it is, it's just this old sectarian notion that we're going to blame, which for some reason, the members of the church seem kind of united in understanding is the case. And where on earth do they get that from? Yeah. Where where do people get these from? And not only does he share a few sources, three, he doesn't share the full context of those sources, number one. And number two, he leaves out a plethora of other sources, which would counter the very point he's trying to make in the article. And he says, you know, some things we know, well, past leaders seem to know some things that he now says we don't know. And I would like to ask, how do we know which leaders know what they know? And how do we know which leaders don't know what they think they know? And how do we discern the difference when members of the church believed by the Holy Ghost, according to them, that they knew at both times that both things that contradict each other now are true? Yeah. And talking about the Holy Ghost, one of the things that really seems to piss God off is when people have received the Holy Ghost and then they kill themselves. So the Holy Ghost has to go find some other place to live because <laughs> he resides within all of our hearts yeah it's like you're making the holy ghost homeless when you kill yourself yeah and i think at the end of the day if anybody knows jonathan Haidt and the scientific uh, research into elevation emotion the holy ghost for the most part can be secularly explained uh within science so can, can we mention the part that i think you've already maybe hinted at if not said please which say is it. that we need to observe that it is a positive trend in the teachings Amen. of the LDS church, regardless of how much they're gaslighting and blaming the members, which they always seem to do, because God forbid that the leaders of the church should ever get anything wrong. It's like, uh, you know, uh, Arthur Fonzarelli trying to say he's wrong. Just can't do it. No. Yeah. So it is, it is a positive move. People sometimes say that you and I never speak of the positive things the church does, but in this particular instance, their present stance on this issue is healthier then their past stance, the trouble is they simply can't blame themselves for the whole journey from where they came from and how they got here. Right. And ironically, in a story that uh, Elder Ballard's talking about with his family and the, the sons, right? What they're doing is they're parroting to him the Mormon doctrine that they have learned in the LDS church from the leaders of the LDS church and through the manuals in the LDS church that the leaders have authorized and then saying it to an apostle. And the apostle is now saying, Hang on, not so fast there. Yeah. Um, let me add another idea, which is when you understand all the context that is out there, some of which we showed you tonight, and then you see how LDS leaders selectively pick and choose, they cherry pick which pieces to read, 
And then they, they still explain that suicide is sin and it comes with a consequence, but that it doesn't have to mean that someone lives in hell forever, but they, but then they leave the quotes that do say that it's almost assuredly going to end up with you being in hell forever uh, out then you begin to understand why I think, at least, that all 15 men know the church isn't true because it takes a hell of a lot of planning, research, selectively choosing which context you're going to share with your audience and which you're going to hold back so that people walk away thinking that the consistent belief in Mormonism has always been X, Y, Z, when in reality, it used to be ABC and it's actually your own fault for having gotten from, having come from there to here. Well, Bill, it's not that the church isn't true or that they know the church isn't true. It's that the restoration is ongoing. The restoration, which once was completed, is now ongoing. That may be another topic for another day to pick out all the sources that said the restoration had been done, completed, finished. Those words, not my, those are their words, not mine. Um, but, but yes, today's doctrine, uh, today or yesterday's doctrine is today's disavowed theories, as we well know. Yes, and when our church changes, it's continuing revelation. When your church changes, it's a sign of apostasy. <laughs> you couldn't write this stuff. I mean, it, it couldn't make a movie that, that does it as well as Mormonism does. All right, so with that, let's go to what I think are the two worst examples in Mormonism yeah. of, of things happening. Um, this one is Marion G. Romney. This is the first presidency message. Um, in 1981, this looks like it might've been, um, uh, October, no, sorry, September of 1981, first presidency message, president Marion G. Romney. And I'm just going to look for the word I know, which is the, the key word. That is 40 years ago, almost to the month. I was still on my mission though, approaching the end. And I, and I was in Japan, by the way, you remember this first presidency message? This no. was. To me, these last two examples are the most egregious. Oh, I remember the story being told all the time. It pops up. It popped up everywhere. Yeah. It, while while we would happily acknowledge on the first half of this episode, Mormon leaders taught that suicide was a grievous sin and we should stay as far away from it as possible. And I think that was clear in their teachings. What Elder Romney does here is he implicitly suggests suicide as an option. Um, when I say implicit, what I mean is that it would be fair to a reasonable person who reads this to walk away from certain life situations thinking that they would be better off dead than to face the music going home having committed sin. So here's what he says. Um, and I probably should go up a little bit um, here. We heard that the see here. I remember how my father impressed the seriousness of unchastity upon my mind. So it's him and his father talking, and I'm going to skip down. He goes, this is his father telling him, when you are released in return, we shall be glad to greet you and welcome you back to into the family. It's a weird way to say it, and it almost feels unhealthy to even say it that way. When you are released in return, we shall be glad to greet you and welcome you back into the family circle. But remember this, my son, we would rather... Come to this station and take your body off the train in a casket than to have come home unclean, having lost your virtue. That's when you tell somebody that it becomes, at least in my mind, um, very clear to the person being told that they, they sh should consider coming home dead 
rather than come home lost your virtue. And the only there's only two ways to die in this world. One is not wanting to die, and the other is choosing it yourself. And if you're not wanting to pass away, you don't have any control over it anyway. So if you didn't want to die and a piano landed on your head while you're walking down the street, you didn't have any choice in that anyway. But so it really only impacts the people who could use their agency to select dying anyway. Does that make sense, RFM? It does. And I think in one sense, this is sort of just a way to emphasize how important chastity and purity is to this father and what's being reiterated by a member of the first presidency in 1981 as part of the first presidency message. On the other hand, on the other hand, you make me think about this further, and I can only imagine what would happen to a missionary who is out on the mission and who does something that makes him unchaste. And now he has this message from his dad and courtesy of Mary G. Romney. We all have the same message from his dad, which is that they would rather have me come home in a casket than come home having lost my virtue. Yeah. So what should I do? It seems yeah. to put a lot of pressure on a person to kill themselves. Yeah, it isn't explicit, but I think it sure as hell is implicit in that one. Now, that one's bad enough. I think that one's bad enough. It it still exists on the church website, by the way. We believe in being chased. Um, again, the church... It should, it should be. We believe in committing suicide. Yeah. It, the, the, the church does two things. One, it ignores it and just leaves it on its website. Or two, it completely removes it, which is actually what happened in the second instance. I was hoping... I what? Find, I know. I was hoping I could find a speech by Mark E. Peterson... Uh, that was given at BYU, where he said something similar. But as you've found in the past as well, sometimes the church just makes things disappear. Well, wait a second. What you've got up here on the screen is the BYU speeches web page. There's a 404 error code saying, we're sorry, the page you're looking for could not be found. What is it that you were looking for? Uh, I don't know what year this was. Let's look it up here really quick. Mark E. Peterson. And so let's see, I, I can actually put part of the quote here. So this will be uh, the leaders of our church. We'll do this in real time. Let's see what comes up here. Um, I'm going to put quotes around it so that we know that it limits the searches to those. Yeah, I'm sure he only said the leaders of our church in one talk. Yeah, no, let's see here. Uh, here we go. So this is a Reddit discussing it. Okay. Uh, this was BYU in 1953. It's his speech. Um, I don't see where the name of the speech is, but it doesn't matter. You're not going to find it anyway. It doesn't exist anymore. It's what you're doing, clicking on the link that's provided in that blog. Yeah, Marky e. Peterson talks, and it's just not there. It's gone. It used to be here. This used to be the URL for it, but it is no longer there. But I do happen to have the audio from the mm. talk and uh, let's take a listen to this and let's see so what Marky e. Peterson had to say that it needed to be removed. Play the tape. The leaders of our church have said that they would rather see their children dead and in their graves clean than to have them live an unclean life. Virtue is more important to you than your life. Protect it above your life. 
If the time ever comes when you must choose between the two, then sacrifice your life, but under no circumstance, sacrifice your virtue. He just told you if you had to make a choice, take your life. Yes. Now combine that with, say, a Book of Mormon scripture where when, was it the Lamanitish daughters, when they were raped, they lost their virtue? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So now you have a, a victim of sexual assault who's raped, who believes according to her own church theology. Now, again, the church has also softened this up a little bit, but uh, believes through her church theology that she has lost her virtue by being raped. And now she comes across Elder uh, Peterson's talk, where if if you have to make a choice between virtue or losing your life, or you're better off dead than having lost your virtue, now she's also maybe having thoughts of suicide run through her mind as she considers this juxtaposition of Mormon I- ideas um, placed against each other. Right. And I can understand why they took this off the, um, the BYU speeches website. I think it's probably a good idea that they did, but this is not exclusively but predominantly a message that's being given to women. Yeah. Yeah. And especially in light of other quotes where the brethren have told women, if they don't physically fight off their attackers, they're complicit in the sexual assault and have committed sin and that they need to go talk to their leaders. And then, and then they also tell the leaders that you'll know by the Holy ghost, whether the female that's seeing you talking about her being raped, you'll know by the Holy ghost, whether she is, Uh, partly responsible or not. So now you leave it up to invisible feelings that nobody can really attribute to a real source as telling you to now shame the woman who's been raped. I thought that quote was very interesting. Do you have that available? I saw that in your notes. Uh, I don't have that one in particular. No. Because I know it sounds difficult to believe. I bet we can find it. Uh, Somebody just shared it recently, maybe on, maybe it was on Facebook. I put it, I think that's where it was. Let's look real quick. Okay. Um, I know it sounds difficult to believe, but it actually does say that as a general rule, a woman who's raped uh, is probably not at fault. But then it goes on to append the comment, unless, of course, the Holy Ghost tells you different. All right. So let's see what happens here. Check it out. Uh, let's see if it's on there. I thought I put it up here, but maybe I didn't. Answer W. Kimball. I thought it was a picture. Uh, one of those. Here it is. Here we go. Anything. I, I put anything but grasping the mind and will of God, because I think this is anything but that. It Where's is this from, by the way? Um, it is a statement from the first presidency, June 4th, 1984. This is a first presidency statement. Yeah. Um, Craig Stapley, I think, is the author of these, and he does a fantastic job of keeping us, uh, keeping on our mind all the unhealthiness in Mormonism. Uh, he says, uh, or I'm sorry, the, the first presidency here says, and I, we get rid of that. Uh, it is conceivable that a woman could be so terrified by mere threats of violence made by an attacker that her sense of agency would be overpowered, causing her to submit without making a real show of resistance. You know, maybe she's going to be scared as hell almost assuredly and is going to is going to be out of fear, have a struggle, have a difficult time struggling with the attacker. Yes. Um, 
On this account, it would be difficult, even presumptuous, for another to judge the moral guilt or culpability of a person attacked. Of a um, person attacked, by the way. Yeah. The um, moral culpability of a person attacked, a woman attacked and sexually assaulted. Go ahead. Unless, of course, a confirmation comes through the spirit that she is guilty or culpable. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? How about she's never culpable? How about if if a woman is raped, she's never at fault? Well, we've got to make that uh, allowance for the Holy Ghost because the Holy Ghost, who is apparently too busy to help her out from getting sexually assaulted, can still show up uh, apparently in some kind of tribunal. I'm not exactly sure where this is supposed to happen, but where some judgment is being passed on this woman to say, hey, by the way, she didn't really fight it as much as she should have. In fact, I kind of think she she wanted this to happen. Yeah. Yeah. And man, sometimes the unhealthiness in Mormonism, the, the high demand fundamentalist religious aspects that are present in this church, uh, sometimes it is astounding the giant pile of these kinds of quotes that you can put together. Yeah. And you've done an excellent job of putting together a steaming pile of quotes tonight, Bill. Yeah. I did a much better job than Elder Ballard did, didn't I? Yeah, you did. But then again, I think it's because you were more interested in finding out the rest of the story. Yeah, remember. I think we'd also have to be honest. There may be some of these questions that there is no answer to. Yes. Those, I think, would be the ones we avoid. Yeah, yeah. And then there's this one. There's this idea that the church is hiding something, that, which we would have to say as two apostles who have covered the world and know the history of the church and know the integrity of the first presidency in the Quorum of the Twelve from the beginning of time, there has been no attempt on the part in any way of the church leaders trying to hide anything from anybody. Isn't that the same guy who wrote the article who didn't give you the full context and put certain quotes in limited context, uh, withholding the context of those quotes in full? Yes. Okay. Just want to be sure. Um, any thoughts from you? I know you had some notes and things. Anything on your mind that would be pertinent to the conversation before we give people the phone number? Can I just say one thing? I mean, I made all these notes and everything, but I think there's only one thing that's important to say is that when I was 13 years old, I was visiting my big brother at his apartment. He just moved out and he's, you know, 18 and he's got his own place and his own car and he's a cool thing. And went over to his apartment, went into the bathroom, and I was goofing around uh, behind the um, the mirror, right? The mirror in the bathroom, and there's shaving cream, and he's got a shaving stuff. And I remember taking a shaving cream and shaking it up because I thought that was so cool and putting it on my hand, and I started putting it on my face. I've never shaved by that time. I wouldn't shave for years after, right? Mm -hmm. I'm just goofing around. And I put this on my face, and I remember looking at myself in the mirror and thinking, you must be insane to put shaving cream on your face. Seriously, I thought that. Mm. And of course, now I think, well, that's kind of dumb because that's like a normal 13-year-old kid thing to do, right? Yeah, yeah. But I remember thinking, I'm insane because there's no rational reason for having done this. And so I look at that and I think that's a very common thing that I'm thinking is very unusual and I must be insane to do it. I sort of think that it's the same thing about suicidal ideation. I kind of think that on the one hand, uh, we sort of think, well, this is, you know, something that maybe a small group of people 
that I don't know and I'm never going to know uh, might consider once in their life or something like that, right? But I think the reality probably is, is that it's a lot more common than we think. And I would guess that the vast majority of people on the planet have had suicidal ideations at some time or another. I've certainly had my share of suicidal ideations. Hello, darkness, my old friend. Yeah. Um, I've been lucky enough not to. I'm one of those who just wakes up on the right side of the bed every day. But let me share a little story with you and then we'll we'll go to phone calls. Um, my mother died of cancer uh, a couple of years ago. Um, and that was really hard on my dad. My dad shared some of his darkest thoughts with me and they, they contained those kinds of thoughts. And, and he, uh, at various points, he said he woke up every day and went to bed every night crying. And, uh, no doubt that that was true. And I remember I told this story once on the podcast, I think Mormon discussion, I think I've told it on the almost awakened as well, but, uh, shortly thereafter, my mother's passing, my wife and I were going out bowling one night and she forgot her socks. So we went to target for her to buy socks and I'm out in the parking lot waiting for her. She went inside to buy them and uh, I'm just waiting the parking lot for, her. and you know, we all have mind chatter. We all have thoughts that just don't make sense that come in our heads. And it took abnormally long. She was in there an abnormally long amount of time. And my brain started to tell me thoughts that something had gone wrong. I started to think thoughts that maybe there was a robber in there holding the place up or, you know, it, it just, those are the kind of crazy things you think sometimes. Mm -hmm. And then in normal life, when your spouse comes out, you, um, you, you get to kind of be okay again, right? You just go back to your normal narrative inside your head and go back to, you know, going bowling. But when that thought entered my mind and knowing what my dad was dealing with, I decided just to do a meditation on it. And so while my wife was in there, I just sat with, what if she doesn't come out? And the dread, the emptiness, the despair, the hopelessness um, was insurmountable for a moment. And uh, luckily my wife came out and we went bowling and the rest of the night went fine. But I for the first time in my life, understood what others, including my father, were going through. Now, I'll add another story to show you that there is hope for these situations. I have a friend who lives in Canada. His wife uh, suffered year after year, severe depression during winter. She would have to just stay in her bed and she, she couldn't get out. And all she had was negative thoughts and dark thoughts running through her mind every winter. And then, and then spring would come and she would feel better and she would have a, a relatively normal life. This got to the point where they just had to figure out something. So she did some experimental um, procedure where they essentially electrocute the brain, shock the brain and kind of reset the hardware. And they did that to her and she suffered some minor issues with short-term memory for at least a while. Um, and also lost some long-term memories, but essentially her issue was resolved. And to this day, I've had conversations. She doesn't deal with that in the winter time as she did before. She now can enjoy a normal life. And so just recognition that in science, in the medical field, there are advances, there are things that can be done. And I would simply say to anybody who is feeling or has felt those kinds of feelings and thoughts, 
please explore every channel. Please look into every possibility. Please seek out every possible uh, way in which to, to be better and to feel better and to know that there are help and resources out there. And I'm going to just for um, tonight's purpose, I'm just going to put into the comments now uh, some of the resources that I came across uh, as I was uh, studying out this issue and folks can hopefully um, pass that stuff on. If you, if you, if you want to share the, uh, share that comment on uh, your Facebook, uh, put it somewhere else. Um, make sure that folks who are feeling despair, and as you point out, RFM, lots of people at some point in their life feel those things. Um, there, there is help available and there are people who stand ready to uh, help those who have those kinds of feelings and thoughts. Um, anything else from you? Yes. I just wanted to make it clear if it wasn't already, I'm going to put a fine point on it, which is that I mentioned this, that the, um, how it's very common to have suicidal ideations, uh, not as a, a permission to go ahead and, you know, kill yourself, but hopefully to recognize that if you're in that position, that it's not unique to you that probably pretty much everybody you know, including me, has gone through that kind of thing. So it's not like it's something that this is just me that I'm going through this, nobody can understand it, and therefore I need to complete what it is I'm thinking about, but hopefully to put it in perspective. And it's funny, Bill, as we were talking about this and I was thinking about it, uh, the most famous piece of writing in the Western tradition, of course it's Shakespeare, but it's the one that everybody knows. It's from Hamlet. It starts to be or not to be. And that is the most famous. I, maybe there's another that's more famous. I will hear other people, but prove me wrong. To be or not to be is the most famous passage, I think. And what it is, it's an extended meditation on suicide. And I think that's probably significant to show how universal this idea is. Are you um, muted perhaps, Bill? I am. We've got our first call on the line, but I think we at least need to announce the number first. I'm going to put it back up on the screen. Oh, Bill, Bill, I want to have that caller. We've got we've got a couple of announcements we have to get in here somewhere. Please. You just leapt right into the show. Please. Go ahead and do that because I, I I wanted to get a call online first. So we'll save him for a minute. If you don't mind being patient, caller, uh, tell us your announcements, my friend. Okay, number one, Thrive is going to be Sunday, uh, November 14th down in Salt Lake City at the Salt Palace, where I've never been, but I've heard of it, I guess. And uh, if you are interested in buying tickets to that, please go to, I have no idea, I guess Mormon Stories uh, Facebook page or something like that. And you can probably figure it out. Uh, Google is your friend. Sorry, I don't know exactly where. But I'll be speaking there. I'll be there. And so we'll build real. Uh, we finally finalized the, um, the date and time for the debate between me and Midnight Mormons, Kwaku L, Cardin Ellis, and Brad Whitbeck. That's going to be the Saturday night before. It'll be... November 13th, Saturday evening, starting at 6 o'clock p.m. at Sean McCraney's church. It's the Campus Church, C-A-M-P-U-S. It's an acronym, so there's a little period after each one. It's in Murray, Utah. And uh, hopefully everybody can uh, either make it. We're going to try and live stream that as well. Should be a lot of fun. And finally, this important announcement for next week. Bill's not going to be with us next week. Okay? So what I did was, is I tapped Jonathan Streeter to come in and fill uh, Bill Real's shoes, hopefully. And we're going to be having our special Halloween special. So we're going to be having callers call in with their personal experiences 
with ghoulies, ghosties, long-legged beasties, and things that go bump in the night. And because of Jonathan Streeter's schedule, we will not be starting at 6.20 p.m. Mountain Time. We'll be starting at 6 o'clock p.m. It'll be a little bit later. So please mark that on your calendar. Otherwise, you'll be waiting for 40 minutes, uh, wondering what the heck's going on. But we will be starting at 6 o'clock p.m. Mountain Time next Wednesday, October 27th. And I think that covers it. Thank you for letting me make those announcements. Let's go to the first caller. Yeah, yeah. And just a, a quick note: you you said you'll be waiting for forty minutes, but so instead of starting at six twenty p.m. Mountain Time, you're going to start twenty minutes earlier. No, I think I got it wrong. I think it's going to be seven o'clock your time. I get confused because I'm in Pacific time. Yeah, and you so saw me doing that. Mountain. Seven p.m. Mountain, six o'clock Pacific. Yes, okay. I think that's it. And eight o'clock where Jonathan Streeter lives down in the heart of Texas. Yeah. So just when the I'll create the link probably tomorrow working with you and Streeter to get that out. And then just viewers and listeners, just make sure that you notice when the start time is, if you want to join, uh, join the live show. Um, you can reach the show tonight. Join Mormonism Live by calling 435-200-3478 or 435-200-FIST. Oh, yeah. Uh, Brandon is our first caller. Brandon, you are on Mormonism Live with Radio Free Mormon and Bill Real. Uh, we're talking about a sensitive topic tonight, my friend. What are your thoughts on tonight's episode? Uh, yeah, actually, I had a question. Um, I was having a discussion with a member of the church the other day about uh, mental health and in regards to the church, and we were kind of debating over whether or not the church is a creates an environment that encourages poor mental health or not. He argued that... Uh, um, there are just people that are more prone to have mental health issues in every organization. Um, I argue that the church does create kind of that negative environment. I, I want to see what you guys uh, thought about that. Sounds good, my friend. Um, yeah, that's all. Thank you. Your thoughts? Uh, does does the church create the spaces by which these kinds of things could potentially or or maybe do happen? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, there's no question in my mind. Now, first off, I will admit and agree with the idea that you're going to have people with mental health issues in any organization, I would expect, no matter what that organization is. But I think that it's really, really clear, at least to me, that this perfectionism that is enforced upon the members of the church leads them to a point where they feel inadequate and that no matter what they do, if they take it seriously, they will never, ever be good enough in God's eyes. And that's a heavy burden to carry, and it can lead to despair, and despair can lead to ideations of the kind we talked about, and if acted upon, then it results in suicide. I've heard too many stories from members of the church and family members of members of the church who take things very seriously and become just so hyper-scrupulous. The scrupulosity that we've heard about, well, that stems from this idea of perfectionism taken to the nth degree right but the reason it gets taken to the nth degree in the first place is that it exists within the church so we've got to be perfect in the church and sometimes we'll hear talk saying well you know you don't have to be perfect today but you got to be better every day and every day i was surprised when i started this is a number of years ago attending church and started realizing that every time i went to church the message i heard at least once and sometimes more than once was that i'm not good enough 
that what I'm doing is not good enough, that I always have to be doing more. And eventually that can take a toll on even the hardiest soul. And I felt it taking a toll on me as well. Have you ever had that experience, Bill? Um, I'm sorry. I'm behind the scenes trying to set up things. So I'm just letting you talk to the audience. Okay. I'm sorry. And I throw that at you. I, I will say this, which is you and I were talking during the course of the week, kind of getting ready for, for tonight's conversation. And what prompted my exploring this issue this time around was a recent Deseret News opinion article that said new research had come out that said that actually Mormonism reduces the risk of suicide. And um, there were lots of problems with the way that that was put together. We weren't going to get into that tonight, but it was at least to say there are benefits to community and religions on some level do offer some sort of benefits that can be um, can be kind of drawn out through research to show that it does on some level reduce that. It also can be shown that religion at many times adds to people's uh, negative emotions and feelings and hardship and can create a space where that does occur. And it feels sometimes like Mormonism wants to say like, hey, like maybe both things, but at the end of the day, it's a net positive. And as you and I were talking through the week, it doesn't have to be one or the other. You can just let go of your unhealthiness and just hold up and, and put up on a pedestal the healthy things you do. If I can just share something personal here for a second, back 30 years ago in the early 90s, when I was going through the, the long and painful dissolution of my first marriage, because my wife was doing things that really she shouldn't have been doing that weren't in line with the teachings of the church. I'm not going to go into any detail here, but I, I killed myself. I made a doormat of myself in order to try and preserve this marriage, right? There's the kids, there's this huge priority that's put on it in the church. I mean, there isn't society as well for crying out loud, but especially in the church, especially when you're married in the temple, right? That this has got to be made to go. And I had to sacrifice myself in many ways in order to try and make that happen. I'm, I'm talking about a two-year process of me sacrificing myself. And this, of course, led to the suicidal ideations on my part for much of that time. But in the last general conference, when I hear President Nelson, by the way, I don't live with this anymore, at least not on a conscious level, I'm, I'm thankful to say. There was a time when I thought I'm never going to get over this. But that time passed. And then, uh, OK, I'm not going to say that. I will go back to President Nelson, though. Uh, so I'm saying I don't live with this. But I heard him in general conference say that the most important decision, you know, you can make is, is who you marry and getting married in the temple. And he says, that will make all the difference. And immediately I'm thrown back 30 years and I have this visceral reaction to what he's saying, because I understand the message that he's trying to give. But in my case, getting married in the temple to this particular person didn't make a difference. If anything, it added increased weight upon me and pressure upon me to make what was an unworkable situation work and go through literal hell, not literal, by literal, I mean figurative, but it might as well be literal for two years to try and make this thing work when it obviously wasn't going to, because it takes two to tango. And I was the only one who was interested in making it work. The other side, the other party was not. So I know what president Nelson is trying to say, but I've got to say back to him that that is not a universal rule. And when you say 
it as if it's a universal rule, then it adds pressure and weight and distress, additional distress to people like me who are trying to be faithful, trying to do everything that is uh, the Mormon way, and it's still all falling apart in spite of the fact that I got married in the temple. Yeah, yeah. And that added to the weight that probably caused uh, suicidal ideations to be greater than they might otherwise have been. Yeah, and I, and I think, I think when you look at lots of aspects of the church, it causes us collectively to feel like we're not cutting it, we're not making it, and what we need to achieve in this life feels at times insurmountable. Yeah, and they get up there and they pretend like they've got these wonderful marriages and they never say a harsh word be uh, between them and everything's fine, which is, of course, as we all know, BS, right? That's not reality, but they present it as reality. And to the extent that we and others like us, uh, in my more observant days as a Mormon, believed that their presentation of reality was the reality, then that pretend perfect marriages that the leaders of the church and other people in the church pretend to have only adds weight to me is how come mine is an absolute disaster when everybody else is just peachy keen. Yeah. No, I, I didn't notice. Uh, well, I, never mind. I just wanted to say that. So uh, our next caller is because uh, I was going to say something about Jared, but I see he's in there right now. So he is in this in this. Oh, episode. Jared, Jared, do you have your phone with you? Yeah, Can Jared, you call? He could. I don't think this will be the topic where he wants to push back. Uh, our, sec our second phone call here is Christian. Christian, you are on the line, Mormonism Live with Radio Free Mormon and Bill Real. Uh, your thoughts on tonight's topic. Uh, thanks, guys. Uh, many of you in the chat know me as Chris Gobike. Yeah, I made it, and thanks for the encouragement. Uh, it's a difficult topic for me as I'm a regular in the chat room. Um, every single week I'm there, but I wasn't there last week because I was being rushed to the hospital um, immediately following my own suicide attempt last mm. Wednesday. And uh, until you had experienced, and I know, Bill, you were commenting on this a bit, the, the pain, the um, utter futility of even wanting to breathe, and the tunnel vision of everything about you is the worst possible thing. And the only way that the world will be better is until you aren't a part of it. Mm. Um, until you've experienced that for yourself, you cannot understand it. Mm. Um, and if you have, then you have enormous empathy for anybody who's in it. Um, I won't go into my own situation. That's not the point, but I'm here today because of one of the only two things that saves anybody that's in that place is they either have a well-designed and organized um, rescue plan for themselves with support groups and um, people that check on them and different things like that, or they, what happened in my case was um, there was something or someone that I loved more than ending my own pain, and that's what rescued me. Um, and the reason why I'm commenting on this episode is all this language about how suicide is terrible and, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, from the church means absolutely nothing to a person who is there, who's in that dark place and dealing with that pain. Absolutely nothing. The tunnel vision is such of you just want to end your own pain as quickly as possible. So the only thing that it serves to accomplish is to either shame the deceased 
the unfortunately deceased, or even worse, shame the still living survivor, which just keeps them in that dark place because they feel still absolutely worthless because everybody shames them. And uh, it, it's a, it makes me wonder, too, about the timing of when they released the update that, oh, just because you committed suicide isn't because it, you aren't going to go to hell and that that was relatively soon after um, it became very clear that it was LGBTQ youth that were committing suicide at a higher rate than anybody else in Utah. And that is my final point that when your loved ones, which is supposed to be one of your rescue mechanisms when you're in that dark place, is repositioned to now being somebody that's hurt by your very existence. Sorry if I'm getting a little choked up. Um, as somebody in LGBTQ might view their TBM family, then that just drives you to want to eliminate yourself even more. So is the, the church potentially liable for this? I don't know if you can make a legal case, but a moral case, absolutely. I'm glad to still be here. Thank you, everybody, for your kind thoughts. Thank you, Bill and RFM, for everything you do. I love your show, and I'm honestly glad to be here this week. I'll hang up now. Thank you. Thank you, my friend. I'm I'm glad he's here. Um, yeah, and now that I can talk, uh, and by that I mean because callers can't hear me. Yeah, uh, Christian, so glad that you're still here. Yeah, amen. I will tell you that uh, when I was going through my most severe suicidal ideations, the only thing that saved me was my two kids, my two little kids, and they didn't actively, you know, save me. They didn't take a knife out of my hands or anything, but the thought was in my head. What happens to them if I kill myself? And what impact does that have on them? And they were like three and five at the time. And I just couldn't bring myself to do it because of that. So I've told both of them, and I'm saying it publicly now for the first time, that I attribute uh, my still being here to my two little kids. Mm -hmm. I'm glad you're here too. Um I've, I've lost people to that and, uh, glad you're here. Uh, let's anticipate this probably being the last phone call. I couldn't, I, I won't be able to pronounce the name, but caller, if you'll introduce yourself, you're on Mormonism live with, uh, radio free Mormon and bill real. Uh, what are your thoughts on tonight's episode? Hi, Bill. Uh, this is Melfi Mormon metalhead. Uh, I just want to talk about, uh, well, I tried to kill myself a number of years ago when I've gone through depression most of my life. And I want to end on a positive note here. Um, as far as that goes, the things that have helped me are, are learning about uh, uh, shame and guilt through Brene Brown, um, uh, studying um, uh, Luna Lindsay Corbin's uh, uh, recovering agency, lifting the veil more in mind control, getting therapy, and joining a support group that deals with high demand fundamentalist religions. And it's been a lifelong journey, uh, learning how to get better, but it does get better if you go through these kinds of steps. And so I just want to say that to anybody out there who is depressed or who is thinking about killing themselves, please get help and please have hope in your life that it will get better. Yeah. Thank you, caller. All right. Thank you. Yeah. Have a great night, my friend. Um, 
the suicide hotline there is at the bottom. Uh, you can, you know, there's the website and then the uh, lifeline 1-800-273-8255. This, this is a dark subject, but I think as we, over the course of the next whatever years we record this program, I really want us to put every single topic where the church has gaslighted us, where it has changed its theology and where that can be documented to be laid out clearly so that people can find the information that may not always be available, uh, at least in one, you know, at least in one place, talking about the church, at least find it somewhere. And uh, to know what all these historical sources said, because I think a hundred years from now, you and I both understand uh, if we take the last decade and go out another hundred, it will be a very different church. Yes, it will. But my prediction, write it down, Elder Rigdon. My prediction is that in Jesus doesn't years, come again. Oh, right. He hasn't, he hasn't shown up yet. No, not unless someone gets him a watch that works. I don't think he's ever <laughs> going to be coming back again unless he realizes what time it is. And it's been 2,000 yeah. freaking years. I know time goes a lot quicker when you're an exalted being, so it doesn't seem that long. Right. But down here, it's been 2,000 freaking years jesus yeah. yes what were you gonna say <laughs> i can't remember but uh, what did you just say write this down oh write this down my prediction oh yeah. my prediction is that though the teachings may have changed it will still be the fault of the members for misunderstanding what past leaders said when they were teaching something that was different from what the future leaders will be teaching yeah it's all bullshit though like these guys are on the record teaching one thing uh the the uh lost and fallen wicked world uh, moved and as, as Elder Holland said, you know, the world moves uh, a little bit, and then Elder Holland and the church move a little more, and the world moves and the church moves, and the world moves and the church moves. And uh, we've got to stop pretending that these guys are the uh, inspiration of God. Let's just strike them up to being always 40 years behind the times. Yeah. And that seems to be what history has shown. Yeah. Any other thoughts for you before we close out? No, but I will tell you, I've had a great time tonight. I think this is a great subject. I'm glad that you brought it up because at first I was going, eh, what do we say about this subject? Because I think that on the one hand, by the way, I'm sorry, because I know we need to close. Oh, you're good. But on the one hand, suicide is always this difficult subject to talk about because we want to remove the stigma from people who commit suicide or who have suicidal ideations. But on the other hand, we seem to not want to remove the stigma so much that they go ahead and off themselves. Yeah, right. There is this line we're all trying to walk where we offer hope, we give people resources, we um, ask them at all costs not to do that, and also recognizing that uh, life is messy and hard. And so um, it is a fine line to walk. I really do appreciate some of your humor tonight. I think some may find that to be crossing a line, but I think as many in the comments pointed out, humor was kind of a big help in their dark times uh, to get through things. I hope so. There are a few lines I haven't crossed yet in this life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. Uh, anything else, my friend? That's it. But I look forward to seeing everybody here except for you, Bill Real, next week at 7 o'clock p.m. Mountain Standard Time for a Halloween special Mormonism Live ghost stories. It'll be like uh, Coast to Coast with Art Bell. And until then, this will be the rule they keep playing by. I think we'd also have to be honest. There may be some of these questions that there is no answer to. Yes. Those, I think, would be the ones we avoid. Yeah.